Back when I was a seminarian, people would often ask me what seminary was like. And I would tell them it's kind of like a cross between a monastery and a fraternity. Better behave than a fraternity house most of the time, not quite as solemn as a monastery. But what every diocesan seminary explicitly has in common with a college fraternity is that there will be a composite photo of each graduating class hanging somewhere in one of the main halls or the common rooms. Every fraternity composite will have some sort of decorative embellishment in the center of the picture, like the logo of the fraternity, for example. So too will a seminary composite have some sort of central image the class picks out for itself. It might be an image of the then current Pope, or the seminary rector, or perhaps the Blessed Virgin Mary. Or some might have the seal of the seminary, or a particularly pretty picture of the seminary building. At Mount St. Mary's Seminary, where I went, I used to enjoy walking along the halls where I could see the evolution of the class composites from the early 1900s, when they were first done, until today. In the older composites, the seminarians all looked kind of the same. Stern, pious, a little gaunt. All of them had the same short, neat haircuts. Then you get to the later 1960s and 1970s and things changed. Beards and shaggy haircuts abounded. You'd see the occasional fashion statement like a brown tweed sport coat over somebody's clerical shirt, rather than a cassock or a black suit jacket. Then in the late 1980s and early 1990s until today, things swung back closer to the earlier ideal, though facial hair still seems to be popular with seminarians. I remember there was one of those class composites at the Mount from the 1920s that had as its central image a holy card type of picture common from that era, showing the priest in the midst of consecrating the sacred host at the altar. And right next to him was a kind of ghost-like image of Jesus, with his hand reaching out, touching the host itself, as though Jesus was whispering the words of institution to the priest and guiding his hands. That image very much reflects the idea of the priest as an altar Christus, another Christ, in which the personality or humanity of the priest is very much subsumed in his role as a direct extension of Christ himself. And that time was an age of great splendor and growth in the American church. But of course, it also had its problems with clericalism. Back when I was a seminarian, I also visited St. Charles Seminary in Philadelphia a couple of times. They have very similar class composites lining their hallways. I saw one from around 1970 that had an image that did not have an image as its center, but instead had a quote from one of the more liberal theologians of that time. I don't remember the quote exactly, but it was something like this. A priest is not sent by God, but is instead nominated by the people to lead on their behalf. This sentiment, of course, is characteristic of the more egalitarian anti-clerical attitudes of that time one that embraced a more Protestant view of ordained ministry. The priesthood was seen simply as an office undertaken for the sake of providing leadership in a Christian community. It was not sacral or ontological in character. 
We could say that both of these competing images of the priesthood reflect a deeper underlying tension over the understanding of the person of Jesus himself. The Catechism tells us, Jesus Christ is true God and true man. Both humanity and divinity were fully present in the person of Jesus. Neither aspect subsumed or eliminated the other. Yet we must admit that this is a great mystery, impossible for us to understand. From the earliest days of the church, the struggle to understand the mystery of Christ's divinity, yet his humanity, had been one of the principal sources of heresy. And we must remember that all heresy is an attempt to suppress the challenge of mystery. It attempts to subordinate the mystery of the faith to some more simplistic kind of understanding. And so some heretics, the earliest ones in fact, called Nestorians or Gnostics, posited that Christ was not really human. To them, he was simply the second person of the Trinity, wearing human flesh in order to be sensibly present to us. His humanity was not genuine because they believed God could not really lower himself so as to fully experience the human condition in all of its frailty and limitation. So God, we could say, remains distant from the world. Then there were those called Arians or adoptionists who believed that Christ was in fact not really divine. They argued that Jesus was simply an exalted prophet, chosen by God as an example to humanity, but not fundamentally the Son of God. But this heresy leads to the idea that ultimately humanity redeemed itself, since God never came down to suffer and die for us on the cross. In the Gospel reading from today, we see the calling of the first disciples, in effect the calling of the first priests of the New Covenant. Reflecting on this passage helps us to understand the divine and human aspects of the priesthood more clearly. We first note that Christ happened upon the disciples as they were engaged in ordinary life, fishing in this case. They weren't doing anything holy, nor were they in some obvious sense set apart from humanity prior to being called by Christ. They were very ordinary Jews of their time. But at the same time, it's also clear that Christ did not call them merely to some kind of leadership role or office in the Christian community. He said, in fact, I will make you fishers of men. As fishers of men, they would share in Christ's priesthood, by which they would extend Christ's incarnation into the world. To do so, they necessarily had to leave behind many aspects of a normal life, evidenced by James and John leaving their father. As the disciples would later say to Jesus, we have given up everything in order to follow you. The idea that the disciples were elevated to a genuinely sacred priesthood and not merely a functional role in the church is often shown in the Gospels. It's shown by the fact that Christ would send the apostles out in his name to heal the sick, to forgive sins, and to cast out demons. Not just to lead others, but to stand in the place of Christ in their priestly ministry by administering the saving graces of the Father, just as Christ had. Yet at the same time, the Gospels are replete with the very real humanity of the apostles, their frailty, their doubts, their quarrels, and their missteps. It doesn't whitewash their foibles and their failures. 
We need to recognize that the ordained priesthood is a supernatural participation in the work of Christ to which some men are called. But at the same time, they are called to this role in spite of their human weaknesses and limitations, which is not eliminated by ordination. We need to keep both of these aspects in mind so as to have a proper understanding of the holy priesthood. First of all, so that we might properly encourage and nurture priestly vocations, as well as religious vocations in our families and in our parishes. But more critically, so that we might better understand and more fruitfully inhabit this church that we are called to as sons and daughters of the church herself. A church which is divinely ordained while being composed of the very, very imperfect humanity of each and every one of us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.